Our scripture reading today is selected from the Old Testament book of Genesis and the New Testament book of Matthew. Genesis 1, 1, and 26 through 28. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. Genesis 12, 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. Matthew 1, 1 through 2. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Beverly. Appreciate that very much. You know, there's a great football game taking place today. There's a great golf tournament taking place today, and this is Hollywood Awards season, right? All the Academy Awards have been, you know, the nominees are out, and so I thought I'd test you a little bit to see if you could name the famous lines of some of the top six favorite, most famous lines in movie history. Think you might be able to do pretty good on this? Go ahead. I'll make my day. Who said it? Yes, in the movie, actually the movie Sudden Impact, as a character, I, I, I did this once before you guys made the same mistake. Uh, here's looking at you, kid. Bogey, Humphrey Bogart, right, in the movie. Casablanca, oh, one of the best of all time. How about this? Toto? I've got a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> Who said it? Judy Garland, yeah. Uh, in, uh, uh, in The Wizard of Oz, right? Yes, okay. All right, how about this one? You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. <coughs> Excuse me a minute. Who was it? On the Waterfront, right? Good movie, by the way. Yeah. <clears throat> Marlon Brando said it. Yeah, I forget what character he played. Do you remember his character? Anyway, Marlon Brando on the movie On the Waterfront. Okay. Uh, how about this one? I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. <laughs> Same guy, right? Uh, in the movie The Godfather. And I'll edit this one bright somewhat. Frankly, my dear, I don't. <laughs> Clark Gable, uh, uh, Rhett, but Rhett, right, in the movie Gone of the Wind. I've just given in descending order the top six most 
recognized lines, and that one by Clark Gable is the one most recognized. You know, it's amazing that we've done this, and chances are, even those of you who don't want to admit it, recognized almost every single one of those and could have said, right? Because movies are a part of our culture. They're part of the story of our lives. They're part. Stories have a fabulous way of working their way into our hearts and minds and finding a place in there we often really didn't even expect. So that when we hear, uh, when we hear, <coughs> when we hear someone say, here's looking at you, kid, we're, we're immediately brought back to, you know, a, a dusty bar in Morocco when, uh, when uh, Humphrey Bogart says those words, Right. Uh, or was it in the bar or was it in the back? Uh, just before the plane went off, yeah. Uh, we're brought back to those scenes. These stories have a powerful pull on our lives, and this is why I want for you to acquaint yourself with the most exciting, epic, adventurous, dramatic story in the history of the world. It's the story found in that book called the Bible, the book of books. It's the story that is the true story about how the world got here, what's wrong with the world, what's being done to fix the world, and what the ultimate future of the world is. It's the true story that tells you those things. And if you don't take time to fill your heart with that story, you will very likely fill your mind with all a lot of false stories about what the world is really about. So one of the reasons why we want to invite you to spend the time reading this book over the course of this next year, one of the reasons why we teach the Scriptures so uh, religiously, really, here every week as we come is because we know that it's so important that your life grow out of that story the story about this God who made this world and what went wrong with this world and what God did to fix this world so that we can look forward to the new world that God is going to create. That story needs to energize our lives or else we will get way too caught up in stories which do not really tell the truth about our lives. I mean, I know this, today is the biggest television event of the year and, you know, if this were if things had happened a little different than they did two weeks ago, <laughs> I watched that movie in uh, Salt Lake City, and uh, as soon as it got, because I was there for that, you know, with my son, we watched it together, and uh, not, uh, I watched that, pl- that game, I should say, and, uh, you know, it hadn't hardly even gotten going until I looked at Carl. I thought, hmm, this could be bad. <laughs> and it was, yeah. When, when they lost that, and the Cardinals lost that game to the Panthers, and didn't they, they just, didn't just lose it, they lost it in embarrassing fashion to almost wipe out every good feeling you ever had about the whole season, gone in a moment, and now you don't even want to watch the game, right? And you feel that way a little bit? Yeah. Uh, that's the way stories are. Well, what you know is that that's not the most ultimate story in your life. If we don't have the ultimate stories fixed in our lives, we will sometimes get too caught up in the minor stories, some of which are, are mundane, some of, which, some of which have their place, but none of which really have the ultimate grabbing effect of our lives. So I want to invite you to join me and all of us in reading this scripture together, this book. This will be probably the best opportunity you will ever have in your life to accomplish something that I know you want to do, which is to read the Bible through. And we will try to help you to do that. 
you probably will never have a better, more helpful opportunity to do it. So take that word of wisdom. You already passed the first of the year. You're done with all the resolutions that didn't work. Let's just start something new and let's do this, all right? But I want to give to you very briefly today a way of thinking about your reading this week. Four words and four acts, okay? Four words, number one, to help you in your approach to reading the Bible. Four words that can help you in your approach to reading the Bible. Often when we look at the Bible, we're looking for a tidbit of help or information for the day or to learn something. These, those are not the most helpful ways to think about the Scripture. Four words to help you. Number one, the word food. Food. It's the word which takes the name, which gives us the name of this whole project, the Daily Bread Project. The devil had come to Jesus in the wilderness. He was hungry. He was tired. He was famished. And the devil tempted him to disobey God's mandate by turning stones into bread. But what did Jesus say, Matthew 4, 4? Man should not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you think of the Bible as food, you will have a good image. A lot of... Sometimes you have wonderful, fantastic, banquet-type meals, right? They're so memorable. But you know, those are few and far between. Most often, you just eat a little bit every day, and you know that it doesn't necessarily even make that much of a difference in your life, it seems like. But if you quit, you would die, right? Little by little, day by day, the regular intake of physical food strengthens your body and helps you to be whole. When you look at the Scriptures that way, don't look and say, did I get something out of my Bible today? No, but it, rather as part of the regular discipline of your life, it will begin to shape you and help you to grow stronger. Make it a regular part of your life, just like brushing your teeth is. You could skip a day brushing teeth and probably no one would complain. But if you could skip two or three or four, you'd start to stink a little bit. And when we do not expose ourselves to the spiritual food that is God's Word, our lives go haywire. We need to look at it as the regular intake. You don't get a banquet meal every time you sit at the table. Those come few and far between. But you do get the regular intake, and that's what really strengthens you. So remember it as, think of it as food. That's a word to help you. The second word, think of the Scripture reading as seed. Sow it in your life and it will bear fruit. Seeds are wonderful things. I plant winter grass every, every uh, fall as I, here in Arizona, and you buy all these little tiny things. They look like nothing. Now, some of you from agricultural backgrounds, you think that's pretty stupid. But I grew up here in Arizona where nothing grows, really. And so you put those seeds in the ground, and you, you keep wondering, is anything coming out of that? And sure enough, after a while, something grows. And then you're amazed, right? What you want to be doing is being just spending time planting the seed of God's Word in your heart. Jesus told a whole parable about that. We looked at it a few weeks ago. Mark chapter 4, when Jesus said the sower sows the Word. Some falls on harsh ground. Some falls on rocky ground. Some falls on thorny ground. Some falls on fruitful ground. Fifty and hundredfold it, it sprouts up. Think of the daily intake of God's Word as sowing the seeds of of Scripture in your life. You never know when you're going to need that verse, but you won't be able to think of it at the time unless you studied it long before. What happens in the moment of testing is whatever you've put into your life in the years ahead, you see? So sow the seed of God's Word in your life. Think of it that way. Number three, the word relationship. 
relationship. I remember when I was a young uh, freshman college student, I was already going with my girlfriend for a year or two, and now I was all the way in California, and she was still in Arizona. This is the girl I married 35 and a half years ago, okay? In any case, I'm there, and there was this thing we had back in the old days, back when I was a college student. It was called mail. Remember? No, not email. Mail. It required a stamp, and it came, and someone wrote words on a piece of paper with their hands, and it showed up in a mailbox. And when you're a college student, the most exciting part of the day is going to the mailbox and picking out. And if I saw one of those, remember, Donna, yellow envelopes? (laughs) She's giving you, yeah, with the the little plastic uh, circle on the left-hand side. Do you remember? Of course you do, yeah. And the little, uh, and it was, uh, you know, uh, earth tones, guy and girl walking hand in hand. This was the stationery she was using back in 1977. You guys remember, some of you. Whatever was on my agenda for that day stopped. Right away, I would go off. I'd find myself a problem. Why? Because the person whom I loved and whom I missed and whom I wanted to be with had said something to me. See, when I read that letter, it was like being with that person. That's what the scriptures are. There is this letter that's been written to you and for you. It's a long book. Take time to think about how God has expressed his love to you over the course of 6,000 years of human history, how God has, has worked in our our world to express his love to all manner of people in all kinds of times and places. Read the scripture as God's love letter to you. See it that way, and you will find it to be a helpful thing. That doesn't mean you're going to feel like God loves you every time you read the scripture, but I've, got, I've given you four words, not just one, right? But that's a good one for you to think about. That's why the apostle Paul said in, in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being made like him in his death. He said, whatever things were gained to me, those things I count as dung, as refuse, for the sake of knowing Christ, for whose sake I have lost all things, and consider them dung, that I may know Christ. Scripture is given to you as God's love letter, explaining to you why God made this world, what went wrong with this world, what God's done to take care of what's wrong with this world, and God's individual love for for you as well as his whole creation. See it that way, and you will find that to be helpful. So, see the Scripture as food. See it as seed. See it as word. And fourthly, see it as story. Story. The Scripture is this epic story. It's an adventure of beauty, brokenness, and rescue, and renewal. It is a long, complicated book, starting from a very primitive time in Scripture, when, when people had very little in, in history little awareness of what the world was about, what God was about, and God created it and and worked through it in the midst of that to tell this beautiful story, which is still being written, by the way, which your life is one of the chapters of, that you can see yourself in the midst of that story. Now, it is that fourth thing which is so very important and why you want to kind of expose yourself to the overall panorama of the Scripture. And this is what we want to be helping you to do over the course of this niche because it is a, a long, long story. Any of you ever been read, a, read a really long novel, some of you? Like the Brothers Karamazov? Not that one? Oh, yeah. 
Oh, it's a good one. But it is a long and complicated story, and it's a little hard to figure out where it's going and why you care about these people and what, you know, it's all. And yet, if you invest yourself into that story, it can and has been life-changing for many people, as the Brothers Karzmatsov was for me. Well, the Scriptures is a story far beyond that, but it's complicated. There's twists and turns in the plot, and you sometimes don't understand what's going on, but just keep plugging your way through because there is this great story. And that's, in many ways, what we're trying to do when we gather for worship is to begin to see that story and see ourselves in the midst of that story so that we can go out and live in the true story of the world, not give ourselves to the false stories of the world, the stories that say, if you just buy that, then you'll feel secure with your life. You know, if you just had that person in your life, then you feel these things are not the true stories of your life. The true story is the story about this God who made us and loves us and gave his life for us. And so think of it as an epic adventure. And so let me then give to you the four acts of Scripture in five minutes. Yeah, good luck with that, right? The four acts of Scripture. It's a long play. And the reason I want to mention this today is because you get to read Act 1, Act 2, and start Act 3 this week. (laughs) That's how quickly you move through the first couple of acts. But those acts are foundational. They're foundational to help us to see what's unfolding through the whole long third act, which will comprise most of your reading of the rest year. It's the most of the Old Testament. Act 1, you can put it down if you want, the beauty of creation. Oh, this is such an important act. It's found in Genesis 1 and 2. If you start the reading today, you get to read it today. It's so important. The creation of the the world is so important, it's told twice in Genesis. Once in poetry and the second time in prose. Genesis 1 is... the, 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 The story of creation is so important that God begins by telling it as a poem. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness hovered over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God brooded over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Oh, it's beautiful. And then more detail given. This helps us to know, and especially if you look at this in contrast to the other stories of that day and, in fact, the stories of our day. If you read the scientific story, the secular story of the world, it doesn't begin with any design but simply by accident, Right? But the scriptures tell us that scripture that the, the creation is not here by accident, but by the loving, creative design and purpose of God. Whenever it got here, however it got here, it got here because of God's design. That's what's important to note about that. So we see, first of all, in Act 1, the beauty of creation. And it's typified by the word harmony. There's harmony with creation. Man and beast and creation all together. Beautiful harmony. And there's harmony with one another. People are getting along with one another. There's fellowship, and there's harmony within, and there's harmony with God. God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. This is the world that God designed to exist. It's why we should care for this world, because too many Christians think that the Bible started with Genesis 3. (laughs) It doesn't start with Genesis 3 when things went... (laughs) haywire, it starts with Genesis 1. And ultimately what God is trying to do in the course of all history is get that creation project which got derailed back on track, first of all through the people of Israel, ultimately through the person of Jesus. And so we're now in that renewal of creation period. That's so important to understand that. You see, so God created this creation as a creation of beauty, 
harmony with, with creation, with one another, with ourselves, within ourselves, and harmony with God. This is so important. This is why you should care for this creation. This is why you should hug a tree once in a while. This is why you should care for this creation. It's not an ashtray to be dumped on, and it's not just a gold mine to take goods out of. God loves his creation. He made this creation. The scriptures teach us that story. We should honor It also lets us know that all of God's people, every one of them, no matter who they are, where they were born, what color they are, what background they are, everyone matters because they're all in the image of God, not just you, right? This is what this story tells us. That God loves his creation and that God wants us to know him. He wants to be with us. And this is why we have that longing to be with God, the longing for transcendence, the longing for a numinous experience of life. It's not just made up in our heads. It's a, it's a memory track for that time when God walked with man in the cool of the day when they walked together in the beauty of the garden, which was set up as a project which got derailed by Act 2. Act 2, the brokenness of creation. The brokenness of creation. This begins in Genesis chapter 3. Part of what God was looking for was a love relationship with creation and with humanity, and love in order to be true has to be free. In order to be real has to be chosen. And so just like you take the you have children knowing those children could turn against you, could hurt you and harm you, but you love them and you want them anyway, God created human beings who could turn away from him, and thus they did, so they did, and thus creation, which was beautiful, got broken. Act 2, the brokenness of creation, told in stark detail. You'll read it this week. It will make you weep if you read it carefully about the brokenness of creation, Genesis chapters 3 through 11. What happened? All the harmony got broken. There was no harmony with God. We were separated from God. There was disharmony with God. There was disharmony with one another. What happened? You know, uh, yes, of course, Cain killed Abel, but it's also true that Adam dumped on Eve, didn't he? It's not my fault. It's her fault, right? And I'm sure they talked about that on the way out of the garden, as any husband and wife really would, right? disharmony in that sense. And what happened to them as soon as they broke God's law? They realized they were naked and they felt ashamed. What happened? They, I know, don't get junior high-ish on this. You know, oh, yeah, look, you know, not that. They had this inner sense of vulnerability, this shame about themselves, this lovely creation that God had created. And what did they do? They hid and covered themselves up. You see, there was an internal problem that began to happen even within themselves. We feel it still today. And, of course, then they began. Instead of building culture under the lordship of God, they built it as a way of becoming God themselves. That's why the Tower of Babel story says, let us make you know, a, a, a civilization and culture People want to be independent of God. God intended for us to build culture. That's the word cultivate, garden, culture. God intended for that to happen, but he intended it for us to do it in partnership with him as his image bearers in this temple, his creation. Not that we worship the creation, but we do love the creation to build it together to create culture according to the honor, toward the honor and glory of God. But we gave up all of that, and we began to use and abuse his creation in order to 
nest our own sense of self, which we had lost because we lost the one who loved us most, right? And so Genesis 3 through 11 tells us how creation got broken. But then in Genesis 12, which you'll read later in this week, if you read it through, you see that God then now reached out to one man, a pagan man, in the middle of Babylon. He reached out to him, and he said to him, Come with me, go to a land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and through you all families of the earth will be blessed. That man's name was not Abraham, but Abram. He became Abraham later. And he was called out of paganism to follow the God who revealed himself to him, to go to a place he didn't know, not having children of his own, simply trusting that the God who had called him would be faithful would perform what he said he would do. And this man, Abraham, later had his son Isaac, later had his son Jacob, later had 12 sons, the sons of Israel, right? All those 12 sons. And then this family, the nation of Israel, grew out of that family. These were people, the called and chosen ones. And the blessing that God was going to try to do is to get this uh, creation mandate back on track by calling a man who became a people, who began to begin to uh, give evidence to a world lived under God's authority, knowing that someday God will fulfill all of that through the person of Jesus. So we see the third act is, I think I passed it by, the rescue of creation. The rescue of creation. Rescue was begun through Abraham, then through Israel, in that whole old covenant. You'll read about that. It'll be a little bit weird to you sometimes, but you'll see this is all about God trying to get back in touch with his people, trying to get back and be with his people. So you'll get to the book of Exodus, and you'll love this story about uh, Charlton Heston, who's also known as Moses, right? Um, you'll love that story of going to the promised land and the Ten Commandments, and you'll say, this is great, and you'll get to the 24th and 25th chapter, and you'll start to read all these tedious things about how to build the church, how to build the tabernacle, which, by the way, was a tent, by the way, uh, and you're going to think, well, who cares about a tent? But see, this was God's way of being with his people again, being with them. That's what God wanted to do. And that was why it was so important to discover how they're going to build it, how the dimensions of it, the beauty of it, where it was going to be, because in that place, God would meet with them. But of course, you know, the story of Israel was, was a checkered story as well. And ultimately, God then needed to send his final faithful Israelite, who was none other than God himself, Jesus, the God-man, who was born to a peasant Jewish family and lived and fulfilled all the requirements of the law in himself, and then ultimately gave his life as a sacrifice for our sin so that he could bring us, what, back to him. Jesus died to rescue creation. Rescue was begun through Abraham. Rescue was completed through Jesus. And we'll get a hint of that in Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, when it says the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, right? when Jesus was born ultimately to Abraham, Abraham's seed, yes. This whole wide tapestry, you'll get the chance to sort of see that. And we'll be your guide somewhat as we go through, and we'll see that now the fourth act of this play is the renewal of creation, that once Jesus died, that wasn't the end of the story. He rose from the dead, and on the first day of the week, God, Jesus met Mary in the garden. It's almost like the garden of even all over again. And on the first day of the week, when God began to remake creation, we have 
Part one, the resurrection. Part two, the implement of the Spirit, uh, Jesus' new creation. That's the part we're involved. And the ultimate return will consummate the new creation. It's a great story. I hope you join me in reading it. We'll help you. It will help you to do that. And as you do it, and do it not just this year, but make it part of your regular routine of your life, you will find that the story of your life will take a larger shape. Your vision of God will grow bigger and grander. Yes, you'll have more questions. Yeah, that's the nature of things. But you also have more assurance. I remember in the late 19... Early 1990s, I loved my grandmother and a very important person in my life, and I knew she read the Bible a lot. And so I said to her, Grandma, or we called her Granny by then, Granny, um, I know you read the Bible. How many times have you read the Bible through? Oh, Steve, she said, I don't know. I remember we had a church reading program that said, read it through in 62. And I know I've done it every year since then. (laughs) Maybe... You can say someday, ah, Daily Bread 2016. I know I've read it every day, year since then. I'm asking you not just to take a one-day project, not a one-week project, not even one-month program, not even a one-year project, but a lifelong project of becoming a person of the book. Are you ready to take the first step? Good. I hope you will. I hope you will. Let's prepare. Father, I'm grateful that you have given us this great book. Oh, it's confusing sometimes, some parts that we don't even like. But it tells this great story of a beautiful, broken, rescued, ultimately renewed creation. And of your love for us in the midst of that, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.